Hey there, welcome to the show. Wow, can you believe it? We're coming up to the end of February already. And, you know, at the end of each month, if you've been tuning in for the last few years, you know that I have a special segment of our show and it's called the Real Estate Talk Triangle. And uh, normally, um, you know, my panel stays the same, but you know what, this this week actually we've got a sub in and uh, I'm really excited to have Bryn Lackey join me. Of course, Bryn's been a guest here on a pretty regular basis. Love having her on the show. And if you don't know what Bryn does, well, she writes a column for the Toronto Sun. She also is with Chestnut Park Real Estate. And the other corner of the table, we've got Dave Butler returning from the West. And Dave is the broker owner of BM Select. So i got a great show planned for you. We're going to have a just, you know, like kind of an open conversation. We were just, you know, chatting off air and all sorts of neat topics that are going to pop up for us uh, this week in the world of real estate. Um, and of course, uh, just a, a quick shout out. If you have any questions, make sure you join me on Instagram, the simple investor one. You know what? You can pose a question there. Happy to answer it here on the show. Uh, we've been getting some great traction. My producers have been hard at our uh, our Instagram posts there. And you know what? We're, uh, I think we've solved the problem of Monopoly. If you want to know how to win the game, you know, go to our post with Monopoly. Seems like it's getting a lot of traction. A lot of people are saying, hey, I never knew I could win Monopoly so easily. But yeah, we've given you the answer. So go to my Instagram post, you'll see it. And uh, so I may as well, you know, welcome in my guests right now. Bryn, Dave, welcome back. Awesome. Thank you very much. Hello. So great to have you here with In the Living, um, Dave. You know, uh, you've been you've been out west, um, enjoying the real estate out there. But I do want to talk to you a few things. Obviously, uh, let's start off with interest rates. Okay, Bryn, I'm going to have you weigh in, of course, on this in a second. But um, you know, right now, last uh, increase, our expectation, end of January, of course up a quarter point you know the ripple of the fact that everybody's saying hey could we be staying pat are we going to see at the next meeting of the bank of canada are we potentially going to see you know them trying to do something to us well i mean they've kind of publicly said that they're on a pause right so i mean i think the expectation coming into march is that the bank of canada will stand put the april meeting is of course up in the air and a lot of that comes back to what the u.s fed does i mean you know, right now we're in a situation where the U.S. Fed is is talking openly about continuing to race. We don't know, you know, the the, the veracity of it. Uh, will it just be a quarter here, a quarter there? But you know, when Canada stops raising and the U.S. does continue to raise, that does cause issues. You know, with regards to the Canadian dollar, which could end up forcing the hand of the bank Canada. With that said, though, um, you know, you're, what you're seeing right now since our last real estate talk triangle. The bond market was, you know, the bond yields were starting to really look like they were forming the direction we wanted them to. Stark contrast, last three weeks, we've really seen a difference. You know, the volatility right now in the bond market is what I would say is all time. I haven't seen anything like this since at least 2008, 2009. Um, so we really need to keep, you know, our eyes on those bond yields. Um, you know, the reality is that there is a situation where, you know, we, we could see this volatility play out for many, many months. Right. So, um, but again, I think as Canadians, we really need to keep our eye on what's going on with the U S fed. That's going to give us a lot of, um, I'd say direction as to where we might be going, but that's what, that's what I'm keeping an eye on. So, so Tiff Backlund did bring up what you were talking about when we talked about the U S fed, uh, he is the head of the bank of Canada. And of course, 
Um, one of the comments that he did make was that he does not necessarily think that he's going to stay in step with the U.S. Fed. You know, his uh, predecessor, uh, Stephen Pelosi, did the same thing. If you remember, uh, Dave, back, you know, we're talking years ago, yep. as you and I were still talking, you know, about this stuff back then, where, you know, Pelosi just decided that he was, every time the U.S. Fed went up, he said, I'm not going to do that. That's not what's best for Canada. Could we be seeing the same narrative play out here? Because, you know, I, I, I think our economy is not the same as the U.S. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're the little brother, but, you know, you can only hit the little brother so many times before he finally says, ouch. Well, and yeah, if you look at, like, look, we had some good, that was some good CPI. Like, I mean, that was, we're, we're, we're down to 5.9 for 6.3. Now, I think, you know, that's going to be a big difference as well. I mean, the U.S. inflation seems to be a little sticky right now. It, it was, the, their, their number was flat. Um, and Canada, ours was a good number. So that gives the Bank of Canada a lot of leverage to not raise the rates. And I think you, it, if I was a betting man, I would actually bet that they will not go in step. Um, but you have, a, you know, the bond yield market seems to be uh, taking quite a few bets, though, that maybe the Bank of Canada will have to do something. So, you know what? Listen, when there's volatility in something like the bond market, you need to be careful. That's not something that you want to make a decision on in a day. You really need to track that and look at it over a longer period of time. And right now, I think I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my bets, you know, very very low. I'm gonna be looking at April and May as to when I want to see some activity, and we'll see. I mean, if the volatility continues at that point, that just certainly means that the U.S. inflation number is not coming down, in my opinion. Okay, so you're not going to be a bookie on this one. So I got that. Out <laughs> by that. Okay, so 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 Bryn, you know, when when we talk about the world of real estate, obviously interest rates has a huge, you know, a huge factor on it. Um, you and I talked a little bit uh, earlier, uh, and. You know, one of the things that you did see, you saw a little bit of life coming into the market with the last interest rate increase. Did, did it kind of flatten anything out? So it's interesting because you did see life come back and there was no real reason for it because we rates are high. Affordability is brutal. Prices have not come down enough to offset the rise in rates. So I don't think it's done much to shift things around, though I think consumers like stability and they like being able to guess where things are going. And you almost saw a dramatic response. It was almost like a light switch activated once um, Macklem came out and in his remarks essentially signaled the end of rate hikes, that that cycle was coming to an end. Which again, you know, as someone who's watched this, because I've been watching pretty closely, um, I don't know why he would do that if the goal is to curb consumer spending and the goal is to keep things calm, saying, hey guys, don't worry, like the worst is over is the fastest way to activate it. Um, and was he speaking too soon? Perhaps, because now we've seen what's happening in the U.S. And the bond markets are saying, you know what, they're anticipating things being a lot more hawkish than maybe the realtors on your social media field are hoping for, feed, are hoping for. And that's the best part is you can tell the people who have not read the paper in the last two weeks because they're still saying, you know, rate hikes are over, everything's great. And even then, that was the best case scenario. Now we're back to seeing rates above 5% again, the five-year fix, correct? Yeah. Um, and so that, I think, is just a really important signal that this isn't over. Um, we don't know where it goes. I think it's not as bad as, you know, we, we don't need to be as, you know, anticipatory, anticipatorily worried about where it's headed as we did, say, last summer when we knew it was coming. But I think um, what you're seeing in the activity is the people have said, OK, cool, we're not going to get the kind of certainty we need. And people sitting on the sidelines for six months, eight months, at the end of the day, some people just have to move. But these are not speculators anymore. 
No, I, I agree with the not speculators. You know, it's interesting because your analogy there, you know, sitting on the sidelines, I, you know, I remember as a kid and playing any kind of team sports, and it's like, put me in coach, put me in coach. You know, the idea here is that there are people that want to get in the real estate market, just period. If it's for their own primary residence, their own reason, you know, and, and Dave, you know, your, you know, BM Select, you know, huge, you know, mortgage brokerage, um, taking a look at the big picture. Are you seeing an increase in files right now? Well, that's, that's the thing. I think I even, I had talked about this on one of the previous shows that when we ran the numbers, we've been doing week to week comparisons, not just week to week from the past week, but this week, this year compared to that same week last year. And we've, we've actually, like, it's crazy. The applications and client updates are pretty close to rivaling still. Like we have like, you know, 80 to 90% as to, as in terms of applications, the problem is purchase agreement are down almost 70% in some situations. And for us, we focus a lot of time, you know, with BM Select, our big of our, part of our big focus is working with a lot of real estate investors. So it's funny because you look at the national average in terms of what it's down for units, but then you actually can look back and say, well, investors are actually being even more prudent and they're even sitting back more and saying, hey, look, I don't, you know, and, and that's, we're a great case of it because to be down 70% on purchase agreements is a massive number. Um, but yeah, we're, we're still seeing tons of activity. Our, what we call in our office are waiting to move forward. That is where we've pre-approved someone and we're just waiting for them to now pull the trigger on a purchase or something like that is at record numbers. We've actually never had this many people sitting in that category in our office. So the demand is there, but as you said, Bryn, that the price point to the affordability zone is just not in its, in its place right now. And there's also nothing to buy, to be honest, we have yep. no inventory. So this is why you're still seeing multiple offers in this. You know, I, I live and work in the central core. You're seeing multiple offers on things day two, day three. You know, there was a house in Davis Village that had 13 offers last week. You know, I think there are enough people who have been waiting. They're not going like moonshot numbers anymore, but there's certainly demand and they're going for, you know, maybe not February numbers, they're going for December numbers. You know, so I think that once we add, you know, inventory back to the pile, once sellers go, okay, the earth won't end, it won't fall off its axis if we, you know, put our house up. I think there are a few things that have to happen. I think they're all, they're all sort of concurrently going on at the same time. And I think what we have not factored in is just the impact of not having anything to buy. How many of those people on the waiting to move forward pile would do so if what they were looking for came up. I don't think there's fear to spend. I think there is an actual real belief in the strength long-term of GTA real estate. Yeah. And, and, and we're going to, we're going to hold that thought because we're going to go to a quick break, but you're right, Brent. I would agree that it's not, and, and it's not just GTA real estate. I think, I think real estate in general just has become such a, you know, entrenched thing in Canadians that um, there's some staggering numbers that we're going to talk about while we come back. And by the way, folks, um, if you have not started following us on Instagram, I'm getting a uh, a high five there from my producer saying, you know, Instagram, the simple investor one. There we go. There they go. I can see them here in the studio. And uh, that's where we always run the show from our new studio out here in Burlington. Happy to entertain anybody coming out this way. And keep in mind, we've still got Uh, A few spots left for our first responders program. If you missed out on it, great opportunity for first responders to be able to own an investment property. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to find out more. And when we come back, I have more with Bryn Lackey and Dave Butler. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. 
And welcome back. So if you're just tuning in, um, this time of month, every single time uh, we get to the end of a month, we do a thing called the Real Estate Talk Triangle. My panelists joining me this week, Bryn Lackey, she's a realtor out of Chestnut Park. You'll also catch Bryn's column in the Toronto Sun. And we've got Dave Butler from BM Select. He's the broker owner there. And uh, just before the break, we were you know, having a good chat about the Bank of Canada, getting everybody's interpretation on what's going to happen. Uh, sky's not going to fall yet. Sorry uh, if you think we're heading back to those low, low, low interest rates. Um, no, there's no bar- bargain basement pricing coming up. But um, one of the things, uh, Bryn, that you and I did mention and, and had a conversation with um, just before was the fact that not a whole lot of inventory kicking around. And, you know, I think that was... I, I, in some ways, I think it's a saving grace. You know, if we don't have inventory, we can't have massive price reduction, still enough buyers to eat up what inventory there is. You know, this is, and, and again, I date myself here, 1988. Okay. Tons of inventory, no buyers, market crash. Um, I think that's kind of what's saving us right now. Yeah. I mean, I think absolutely. If, if there were, you, that's where you see the markets that have had the steepest decline to the ones where inventory flooded because people couldn't carry them. So those are the pockets where you saw, you know, the headlines of 30% down. It, and it was from people having to sell inventory flooding. And then there you go. They were picked up by people who were looking for deals. Um, that's what's keeping prices where they are. You know, I think when you're talking about higher for longer, which seems to be the narrative now about what's happening with interest rates, Dave, you can speak to this way better than I can, I'm sure. But in terms of people being able to hang in there, um, will that shift in certain pockets of, you know, having to bring inventory? I had coffee with um, a lawyer I know who does mortgage enforcement work. And she said that all of the banks and her her firm, they handle it for the big banks. They're doing audits to make sure that you have enough bodies in there to be handling the files coming their way. So I think there are, you know, preparations underway in certain pockets for certain people. But by and large, I don't think we're going to see enough inventory to really shift it off its axis. So that's a little ominous sounding when we start talking about potential power sales, right? Because <laughs> I, that's that's what you're referring to. And Dave, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this to you because, you know, during my last seminar, I did talk about that the banks typically have a pressure valve in place. And we experienced that during COVID. And I know because you and I talked about this through COVID was the fact that the banks were able to let people de- defer a payment, like a month of payment, right? And so when when you think about if you could defer uh, one payment of 12, that means you make 11 payments in 12, which would actually alter it enough to probably get everybody to be kind of on the same axis. Do you see the lenders in the future kind of taking a hard look at this and saying, hey, look, we can work on amortization. We could turn around and do some delayed, you know, and... And look, what, what what's the big difference? You get you take a 25-year amortization, you decide to throw out two payments and put them on the butt end of it. You know, it's not going to hurt the bank, but it will be able to help some people maintain the current debt load with the increase in interest rates. Yeah, I mean, we're we're already seeing it. Um, you know, uh, Sajin, uh, which is formerly Genworth, the insurer, has been making the rounds quite recently saying that, hey, you know, make sure as a mortgage broker, you understand that with Sajin, we have uh, miss a payment options and whatnot where we will work with the lender. So you're already kind of seeing that coming up to kind of defer a payment. And I think, you know, you bring up a great point, you know, the COVID kind of disaster and, and and what relief was there. And we saw the banks really step up and offer that, you know, defer a uh, payment program. Um, I think 
definitely, you know, there's got to be something similar in the works. Uh, I think, you know, for Bryn to make mention of, you know, the back end, what's going on behind the scenes with, with the making sure there's enough people to handle these files. I certainly think there's some other people on the other side of the banks that are figuring out how we don't get mm -hmm. to that situation. And, you know, I think we, again, we saw with COVID the bank's reactions. Um, you know, I think I'm, I'm waiting to see what they will do because, you know, we've talked about this. I think there is a bit more pain. I mean, you know, I, we send out a newsletter to our clients you know, every month. We've been very open and honest. We think there's a bit more pain. I mean, the reality is, is, you know, you're going to need interest rates to come back into the fours, high threes for you to get real affordability in today's market, especially in Ontario and in other big provinces. So, um, yeah, it, this, it, this is, is something that we're keeping an eye out on. We are actively talking to banks to try to find out what extra programs they have, because we do believe there are going to be customers and clients that are going to be in a situation where this could help them. But, you know, I think we are in a situation where it's still get through it. Uh, I don't think these high rates where they are now are here to stay forever. I think we can all agree on that. Um, I think once inflation is back down into the target zone, I think we can probably start to see the Bank of Canada maybe start to try to provide some stimulus and that will be in lowering interest rates. And of course, then affordability may come back. But um, yeah, this is this is something that we need to all as Canadians get through. 2023 is was always going to be the year survive as even as a real estate investor, make it through. Yeah. And Dave, you and I talked about this. Um, you know, uh, we, we have a program here, which we call leverage to last. Yep. And you and I had a good discussion about this. And the idea here is that, uh, you know, despite the fact that we're seeing interest rates go up and people see their, their, their payments go up, they're still sitting on a large amount of equity. And when, when you, when you bring up investors, real estate investors, I think it's important because when a real estate investor is sitting on a fair bit of equity, the chances are that if they turned around and let's say they threw a small HELOC on that property. Okay. It would allow them to, and, and, and if you're smart about it, you, you, you basically turn around and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to take, you know, call it $5,000 and I'm going to take $250 per month and I'm going to spread that out onto my payment. So I'm going to lower it. So it's not hurting my cash flow the way it did. Now you're, you're, you're borrowing that money tax-free because technically it's just interest that you're going to be paying on it. But at the same time, it's giving you the breathing room that you need. So it's not the hurting you out of pocket. You know, this is something you and I discussed. Do you want to like, you know, expand on that? Well, I just think I actually, lo I love it because, you know, I look at it from an investor, you know, lens and I'm always like, look, you know, if I'm an investor for 20 to 30 years, I, the expectation level that for 20, 30 years, everything's going to be great is probably not you know, Realistic. a really smart thesis to start off with. So, you know, I, I, I know, and I give you a real story. When I started in the business in the early 2000s, I did a lot of homework and analyzing what happened in the late eighties and the early nineties. And when I, you know, and again, I was a very young, tw you know, in my early twenties at that point, but I had a very basic outlook on it. My outlook was, look, if we experience something like that in Canada again, I want to be able to look back and say the key there for that investor was to survive because I remember now doing applications at that point, maybe let's say now in 2006, 2007 and saying, look, if this gentleman who had four properties in that, you know, downswing had just held on and made it through and got through the rough spot, wow, they're a multimillionaire right now. So again, it's, it, to me, again, I'm a, I'm a long lens kind of guy. I'm always going to look at it in a long-term vision. And for me, uh, with our investors, we're not short money people. We're not fast money people. We are looking at this as a business, as a game, as a something we want to win long term. And the idea that 
you can take money, use equity in homes that's been built up to give yourself a cushion, I've always thought is prudent and smart. There are certainly people that will say, ah, it's stupid. You're just taking on debt. But the reality is, is I don't think they're playing the same game I am. I'm playing a game of long-term wealth accumulation. If they're just playing a game of what are my debts today, I don't necessarily think we're playing the same game. That's all. Yeah. And Bryn, you know, when we look at it, you know, and you, you and I have talked about the speculators that played it in the market. Okay. It just, speculators that come in they're you know, they're paying too high. They're not looking at the long-term hold. They're looking for the quick buck. They're the ones who will probably suffer in a market like this. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what we're seeing is there are a lot of people who, and you see that it's like the old, you know, the ancient gold rush mentality. There were a lot of people who jumped in very close to peak where they're going to feel it and they're going to be the cautionary tale. But I think we've seen, and I'm sure Dave has stats to support this, there are, Canadians are very good at holding on. I think we have the lowest um, mortgage default rate, um, proportionately, you know, relatively low powers of sale. People are good at hanging in there. And I think that coupled with the very strong belief in Canadian real estate is how, if people can hang in, they'll be okay. I, and that's my belief. You know, I, I believe in the viability and longevity of Canadian real estate. What we're going to see is the people who maybe don't have, you know, they probably didn't. There are a lot of people who maxed out their equity yeah. in an attempt to, you know, you heard the stories for the people who would refi to keep keep buying and renovating and refi. And then you also have the people who are pulling out money to buy Bitcoin. Like, I think we're going to have some sort of brutal cautionary tale, but they're the exception, not the rule. By and large, people bought their house. They live in their house. They might have a HELOC because they wanted to renovate. It's going to sting for now. It added value. And on the other side of this, you just need to ride it out. You know, you don't day trade in real estate. Yeah. It's a long-term thing. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And speaking of hanging in, guess what? We're going to go to a quick break. But when we come back, I've got more with Bryn Lackey and Dave Butler. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. So in the studio with me, Bryn Lackey, Dave Butler, BM Select, Bryn's from Chestnut Park. And uh, great chat so far at the Real Estate Talk Triangle that we do here every single month. Um, and by the way, you know the countdowns uh, here for RSP, right? Well, you know, we do have a program called the Master Investor Program here at The Simple Investor. And if you're looking for something that kind of makes sense, that you feel good about, um, our returns have been between 8 and 10% consistently year over year for the last five years. And... It's only based in real estate. So um, if you haven't decided yet, you can always reach us here at thesimpleinvestor.com and find out more. But uh, just before the break, um, Bryn, you know, we were we were talking about, obviously, you know, speculators and you made like just a brilliant point. I saw Dave's eyes light up. You know, you don't you don't day trade in real estate. Love that term. OK, that that is really well put. And, you know, I've always I've always said that we're real estate investors. We're not real estate speculators. The one thing is, is that there are those people that think that, you know, flipping real estate like stock, you should be able to do. But, I, I, you know, this is this is that cautionary tale. You know, people can get caught. Yeah. And I think anyone who deals in stocks says, you know, you don't sell at the bottom. You just have to, like, cry into your big pillow at night and you just hold in there and, you know, a, a new day shall come. And I think that that's the phase of the cycle we're in right now. Um, and the pain you're seeing are the people who thought it was easy, didn't do their research. And, and this is where I will jump into sort of my industry's complicity in that. I think there are a lot of realtors who they saw it the same way. And I don't think that they were lying. I think that there are a lot of people who have recency bias where they saw appreciation up and up and up and up. 
oh, if all you have to do is scrape together the money. And, you know, you can't go wrong. If you can't afford a place, well, then, you know, buy one and rent it out. You know, keep renting your own your own apartment. Like, I think there are a lot of people who got in because it was framed to them as a brilliant idea. And to your point, there is a very clear difference in speculating and investing. And there are a lot of people who sort of thought they were playing chess and we're kind of playing checkers. And that's what we're now seeing. Yeah. And I'll tell you, people that define themselves as real estate investors, yeah, no, no, no offense, but a real estate investor also has to know a lot of the rules and regulations and how do you deal with tenants. And that is definitely something oh. that a lot of people get into the industry and don't even consider, you know, they just think that, well, the tenant owes me the money and that's it. Um, Dave, you know, well, this is one of the issues, you know, you and I have numerous conversations about this being a real estate investor and the landlord tenant board and how they're treating tenancies right now. And again, look, there, there's bad players on both sides, but when it's so one-sided where you can't even get in front of any form of mediation to even have a discussion, then when somebody stops paying rent, like, you know, if, if, if you stop paying for your car, you stop paying your lease, look, the tow truck's going to be there 30 days from now, and they're going to be pulling it out of your driveway. When you stop paying your rent to your landlord, it can take up to eight months just to get in front of somebody to say, oh, by the way, you're supposed to pay. You know, this is this is one of the things that I know you experience this with a lot of your investors. Yeah, I mean... Uh, that's, of course, they're a simple investor. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually true. Uh, look, I, I think it was one of the other, you know, um, low points of what we got out of COVID, which was, you know, the the, the landlord-tenant board is, is, is a mess. I think they might even admit that, sadly. Um, you know, I think it, it just puts a lot more emphasis on making sure you're choosing the right tenant. Um, you know, I, I've, you know, in, in our talks with our, with our investors, you know, there's a lot more prudence on the fact that, you know, we want to do more credit checks. You know, there was a time there where it was like, you know, an investor would just throw anyone in the home and then if they didn't pay you end for, and, and, and it, it, this system moved fairly quickly. I don't want to say super quickly, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely since, you know, since, since there has been such a backlog, it's really enforced the need to do better credit checks. Really. I mean, I've even had people like, you know, as a mortgage company, we're used to vetting, you know, applicants on a daily basis, you know, minute by minute. Um, so we've actually been putting on little classes for a lot of our investors at times to be like, Hey, look, you want to know how to really find out someone's situation? Look, we're going to show you what we have to do with you to the bank, but now you're going to kind of do this with your tenant. And that is, you need to do the great credit checks, not just checking Equifax, check Chinese Union, there's other stuff on there. Um, you also need, let's be checking out employment. You know what? Sadly, a lot of people in this world have kind of figured out that they can just say to someone, I work at a company and the person just believes them. No, let's actually, you know, find out, get permission to call the employer, actually confirm they work there. Are they full-time or are they part-time? Did they doctor their own job letter that they've given you? I mean, look, we've seen some crazy stuff come from tenants. So I just think, you know, this is not to bash tenants at all, but it's to say, look, as an investor these days, given the harsh climate that we're in, I think it makes a lot more sense to be very picky with your tenant and that likely could get you through the little mess we have. As certainly once the landlord tenant board has gotten back to its good turnaround time that it used to have, I think you can maybe backtrack, but I think a lot of people will have learned good lessons there and potentially continue to keep that up because do you really want to keep turning over an investment property with new tenants? I personally, that's not something I'm looking to do. I want something that's nice and long-term and have them in there as long as possible. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you made some great points there. One of, one of the important things is, is that before you hand the keys over to a tenant, you're still in control. 
and and this is one of those things that I need to emphasize to all landlords out there um, is the fact that you are you are still in control of your property until you hand the keys over to the tenant. At that point, you've now agreed to give the tenant the ability to have that quiet possession, and you are no longer in control of the property until they do untowards to which would be not paying rent. So. You know, good point, Dave, because to us, it's got to be really important that we keep a balanced approach to this. Yeah, 95% of tenants are awesome and the 5% make it bad for the rest. But the problem is that 5%, 5% is a staggeringly large number of the GTA. You know, when we take a look at the big numbers, you know, when you start talking about millions of rental properties, okay, that tells you how many tenants are in the marketplace. And so it does have a, you know, a huge adverse effect to a lot of people. And, you know, we can talk about the corporate landlords, but we also need to talk about the mom and pops, the ones that can't really afford the eight months of loss of rent. And, you know, Bryn, this is one of the things I know you've had clients that they've had to deal with it. And, you know, they go in willingly to be a landlord and just hoping they get a good tenant. But at the end of the day, they don't have enough of a nest egg to accommodate if a tenant stops paying them. No. And I think it's also compounded and exacerbated by the fact that now Toronto, and, and I'll speak about Toronto, um, is so incredibly unaffordable in terms of rent. So that whereas once you just had the 5% of bad apple tenants, you know, sort of spoiling for everyone. Now you also have tenants who can't really, their, their salaries have not gone up, you know, relative to rent. Their lives are, are dramatically impacted by this cost of living crisis. So when for instance, you have, and this is one you see a lot, um, condos listed for sale, investors decided they're done, it's tenanted, you know, somebody wanting to buy it, but wanting to make sure the tenant leaves, you now see cash for keys, essentially extorting people functionally. But the reverse of that is if you're a tenant and you're paying $2,200 and maybe market rent is now 26, 27, which, and that's not an uncommon sort of sure. spread. And it's being sold. You as a tenant are sitting there going, well, what, what would you like me to do? There's nowhere for them to go. They have to try, you know, they're trying to find places to go. So they're asserting their right to stay until tenant, you know, until ownership changes. And then that new buyer, that new owner issues them, you know, notice to end tenancy. So that's something that is now being punted to the landlord tenant board for hearings. Whereas you know, would that tenant like to be squeaky? Well, no, I'm sure they would love for their own peace of mind to be able to find somewhere. So they were just happily living their life, find somewhere where they can go, paying the same, staying in the same neighborhood, close to their job, the whole thing. But that's just not an option. You know, it's not easy for people living downtown to say, okay, well, I can't afford here anymore. I'm going to move to Oshawa when my job is here and my family is here. So that's the added layer to this. It's not even just squeaky wheels. It's also people just were kind of really between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. And, you know, affordability, the government talks about affordability all the time. And I would love to know their solution because, you know, they haven't given one, they haven't tabled one. Um, who knows? Maybe the next mayor of Toronto um, is going to have a, you know, solution to this one. Highly doubt it. Um, you know, the run of mayors that we've had for the last several decades really haven't solved the, the, the issue with Toronto housing, especially Toronto community housing. But, you know, that's for another segment. And speaking of another segment, you know, we're, we're going to we're going to go to another one right after the break. But uh, remember, 
Um, if you if you want to find out more about what you should be doing with your RSPs, go to thesimpleinvestor.com. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, the Simple Investor One. I'll be right back with Bryn Lackey and Dave Butler. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Well, we're in the final stretch here at the Real Estate Talk Triangle, <laughs> Simply Real Estate. My guests joining me, Bryn Lackey, Dave Butler. Um, you know, it's been, it's kind of been a fun show. I always like to throw out a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a teaser, have some fun, you know, but you know, the targets are so vast and many, you know, I could talk about the, the, the government and everything else. And, and, you know, I think everybody's getting tired of me, you know, uh, vetting and venting on them. So, um, Dave and Bryn, you know, uh, Bryn, uh, licensed realtor, Dave, you know, licensed mortgage broker, your industries ended up getting a ton of new members during COVID. And because we had the uptick, low interest rates, uptick in mortgages, you know, everything, every, everything, you know, Bryn, lots of new bodies coming into the marketplace. Um, I, I think uh, Mercedes is going to be taking a lot of cars back this year. And I'm sorry, I know a lot of people think I'm tongue in cheek, but you know, here's the thing. Too many part-timers come into these industries thinking that they can make quick bucks and continue on their, their, their lives. I'm not a fan. You know this, any of my listeners for the last 10 years, that's right. 10 years at Simply Real Estate know me to say, I don't like part-timers. Okay. If you're going to represent an industry, you do it full-time, bring realtors, notorious for, you know, oh, I'll do a couple deals a year, do my friends and family, Dave, same thing. You know, it was funny because you told me how many part-timers are coming into the industry. Um, Dave, I'll start off with you. You know, there's a lot of people that didn't get train wrecked, um, you know, this year. Yeah. I mean, we're, it's, it's, it's been so interesting because we're actually hearing of like regular, like full-time people that were fringe people before COVID actually going and getting brand new jobs. Like they're actually exiting. So not just a bunch of the part-timers that have come in are now exiting, but you've actually got, you know, because of the drop in volume, you've got a, actually an exodus of people that were, you know, maybe like a fringe mortgage broker, but they were paying their bills now deciding, Hey, you know, with the cost of living increase and everything else, I'm not gonna be able to get back to the income I even had before. So I'm going to go do something else. And we've actually seen that. I mean, we, we, literally we had conversations with three different mortgage brokers over the last probably say three months that this was something that they were considering. One of them, I already know, I he sent me an email, he's, he's done. He's he's doing, going back to engineering. He was the previous engineer. Um, so you, you're definitely, I feel like we're going to see a big shift. And, you know, I, I'm with you. I mean, I've never been a big fan of the part-time because the reality is, is I, I know as a mortgage agent, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're working with a real estate agent and, you know, they have a client that needs information now. You know, if I have a part, if I have a regular job during the day from nine to five and I'm just a realtor, or I'm a mortgage broker at night, how am I going to be able to continually be up to date with my communication between that real estate agent? If my, if the real estate agent is only able to get an update from me as mortgage broker after five o'clock when I'm done my regular job, how is that to the benefit of the client? And that goes without saying as well that, you know, part-timers, I believe don't get to see as many deals and therefore don't get to see as many types of solutions that could come to problems. And therefore the problems that come from them don't end up having solutions. And I think we saw a lot of that in the craziness and in the, the run-up that we saw. Um, but you know, I, I, we, we, we share the same sentiment on part-timers, uh, not that I'm against anyone that could do it successfully, but 
I haven't found one. And I mean, throughout owning our brokerage, <laughs> I still don't know. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. If it, if it, someone can make it work, I give them kudos. But the reality is, is I haven't seen it. And I've been doing this for 20 years. And I've had many people come to me, clients, friends even, to say, hey, I want to do this. It looks what you do is cool. I want to do it. And we've, you know, we tried it out a couple of times early on to realize right away, this is a waste of time, not just for them, for us. Yeah. And, and, you know, when, when I was practicing real estate, one of the things that I, I struggled with and, you know, I sold several thousand homes in my career. And when I would see offers, you could tell exactly who it was from and how long they'd been in the business. And this is, this is the, the concern, Brent, I'm pretty sure you faced with, you know, you Yes, you can know, you know, somebody's name if they've been in the industry for a long time, but you know, you can also tell just on how they write their offers, how they present their offers. When you ask questions, you know, uh, you know, when you say about, you know, and, and you need to query this, if you're listening, you need to query it. If you're, if you're a buyer's agent, you need to query the other side to say, okay, you know, um, is your, is your client pre-qualified, blah, blah, blah. Like you need to be able to get the answers. And I find that the people that are kind of doing it, you know, a, a deal here or there, just can't answer the questions. Yeah. And I, you know, I think once upon a time, real estate moved a lot slower than it does now. We're now in a time of DocuSign and everything, literally everything being on your phone. You can do a deal in an hour. You can be standing in a, in a condo and be writing up paperwork for your client. Once upon a time, there was downtime. Well, right? you just sold one here sitting here in the studio. Oh, I yeah. saw that. You're on your phone. I yeah. saw you just do a, do a deal while we were talking. While Dave was talking, she did a deal. I mean, that's fat. No, just kidding. I know. I'm just <laughs> very good at this. But I think the speed and the expectation that comes from that is you're available. And when I have, when I need information, when I am trying to do an offer and you don't, you, you know, you can tell that these people don't do a lot of listings because they don't have things ready to go that you should have. There's no schedule, you know, this schedule B's and what's included and what's not inclusions and exclusions. Um, when I'm waiting on basic information so that we can get this, this thing going, it's irritating. And it also makes me look bad to my client. It makes the process look bad. It makes the industry look bad. Um, I think there's that, I, I don't know if the statistic is actually correct, but there's that age old tale of 90% of the business is done by 10% of the agents. I think that's true. I, you know, I think there is a huge percentage who do one or less deals per year in the Toronto Real Estate Board. Will that purge be good for everybody? I, I think so. I also think that of those, you know, the other 10% of the deals being done by the guy who doesn't read the paper or is so excited to get the deal to pay for the Mercedes, I think that they're, those people are at a serious disadvantage. And I think that that's wrong. And I think this is a full-time job. You cannot do this on the side. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of it is that if you're not spending your time educating yourself, then you should be educating your clients. And, you know, when we take a look at, as you mentioned, how fast this market moves, you know, num numbers and absorbing what's happening in, you know, neighborhoods, areas, whatever, whatever you decide to work in, you know, you need to know what is happening today. Not, you know, oh, you go to somebody and say, Hey, what do you think? Like you need to be the professional. And that's why I think the commitment of it, you know, and, you know, a couple divorces later and, and 80 hours a week, it's okay. You know, that, that, that's, that's what some people said when I was committed. Oh no, that's commitment. Right. <laughs> but you know, when, when we take a look at the big picture, um, you know, I think, I think everybody should realize, uh, working with professionals is truly, truly to your benefit and to, to the people around you. Um, Dave, final thoughts. Um, you know, here we are, we're going to roll into March, uh, spring market. You and I always throw out that idea that, 
you know, I think we're going to see a couple of discounts coming our way. You know, a couple of the banking industry has been telling me, you know, they're kind of anticipating a little bit of extra discount coming, you know, maybe end of March, probably April, part of the spring market. Yeah, I mean, that's that that's the hope. Um, you know, generally speaking, a lot of these banks, their Q1 started some of them in November. Um, so a lot of them don't mind. Like I know, you know, you know one of the big ones, you know, doesn't doesn't really care about their Q1 numbers. They're more Q2, Q3, and then from there they can decide how aggressive they want to get in Q4. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're hearing the same stuff about spring, summer. And that's, you know, I think prior to COVID, there was that seasonality in this business, not just with real estate, but with mortgages too and interest rates. Um, you know, I also think what to expect over the next couple of months for sure is probably the height of the really bad headline news, right? I mean, I think we should expect, you know, when the February real estate stats come out and the March real estate stats come out, I think you can expect some really bearish numbers. And I think you can expect the the real estate bears and the talking heads and the the social media people um, to really bask in that glory. But, you know, I think you need to, to, to be aware that, you know, generally speaking, when you have a heightened sense on that one side, it, it could start to flip. And I think those numbers will make sense. I'm really curious because again, when you're comparing this February to last February, it's it's was, not even in the same ballpark. Yeah, I was right? just going to say, Britain, apocalypse. the apocalypse. <laughs> I like, you know, we, we talked about this. I, th- I think February over February, that's going to be the number that's going to really play with people's minds. Yeah. And then, but the reality is, and now here we are, right? I think that we still have, and just to your point, the bearers on Twitter, to even say that I've seen an uptick in activity and that we're seeing multiple offers, like they'll all try to crucify me because they're going to say that I'm trying to fuel or fan a market. Yep. The reality is this is what we're seeing. And as much as, and this all comes back to the same thing that we've been saying through COVID, all of the things that should happen, the outcomes one would expect, the logical people would assume, they don't always come to pass. You know, COVID should have decimated real estate. Instead, we saw the biggest rally ever. Um, you know, consumers should be hiding. Fine but they're not like there are multiple offers on houses in spite of the fact that we don't know that we have hit bottom, whatever bottom exists. And I don't think that's even going to be even across the board. So one way or another, you're seeing that people are sort of sick of the headlines. I think now we're into people doing what they need to do for themselves. And everybody has a different sort of set of data points for what that will be. I think we're going to see activity this spring if we can get some inventory. Yeah. And there's our wish for this week is that, you know, some inventory might solve the market. Bryn Lackey, Dave Butler, thanks for joining me here for the Real Estate Talk Triangle. That's a wrap, folks. And wow, hour goes by so fast with my guests. I do want to thank Omar and Aiden in the booth, keeping it simple for me as they do every single week. And Ian Grant at the head studio and of course i want to thank you for tuning in and by the way if you want to make us the number one real estate talk show this year please do so we were last and i look forward to talking to you next sunday as usual at noon i'm your host todd c slater you've been listening to simply real estate right here on news talk 1010